Welcome to another episode of A Regenerative Future. My name is Chris Hovde, and in every episode, I invite inspiring guests who all have in common that they truly make an effort in creating a more thriving world for all of us. Today's inspiring guest is Chris Ostergaard. He is a best-selling author of uh, Transforming Legacy Organizations. He's a co-founder of Singularity U Nordic and a head of research and publishing at the Rehumanize Institute. This institute has the purpose of bringing insights to the world and creating a more ethical and responsible future. I also know that he lately has been digging deeper into the connection between AI and leadership, and I really look forward to a deeper conversation with Chris today. So welcome to uh, the podcast, uh, Average Future, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. It's really, really a pleasure to have you. And I would like to start with uh, a bit of a personal touch and for the listeners to get to know you a bit. So where did your journey on focusing so much and deeply on responsible business start? Yeah, uh, thank you for that question. Um, well, I, I think it really thoroughly started when I, um, so we've been running uh, education programs for for many years part of the businesses we, we we've been running first as, as singularity nordic now as rehumanize institute and i've always been focusing very much on innovation and how to build innovation in a larger established organizations which led to a lot of research and the book transforming legacy organizations uh, so that's about uh, innovation, but ultimately it's about culture. How do you build the right type of culture in order to free up people's innovation powers? And uh, I remember when I was writing this book that uh, I thought to myself, uh, I want to close the book by writing a chapter on ethics and the ethics of innovation and how to ensure that throughout the entire innovation process that you do that in an ethical and responsible manner. And, and ethics had been a part of our education programs for years at that point. Uh, but I also realized that I actually didn't know how to properly write that chapter. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 was, uh, it was big, it was fussy, it was complicated to me. And so that sort of made me realize I have to double down on this. I have to really spend much more energy and time on really trying to understand what does it mean to actually behave ethically, responsibly as an organization? What, uh, what kind of principles do you need to navigate from? And how do you turn principles into action, into you know, operationalizing it? Uh, and, and that was, for me at least, a, not the start of the journey, but really making me go down that rabbit hole and, and really fully trying to understand it. And it um, uh, has, has led to... Well, uh, uh, that, it, you know, responsible business is part really core to, you know, talks and workshops I do, but also the education programs that we do when we, we've been doing a lot of research around it as well. Mm. And then uh, I know your journey started also a bit with like uh, uh, being a faculty member on Singularity University. Mm -hmm. And then you uh, you were a part of taking that into the Nordics. Uh to me, it feels like you're then having those kind of high aspirations, ambitions that usually they talk about 10x, uh, we need to radically improve or change the world. Mm -hmm. Where does that kind of uh, fire passion, uh, wanting to really, really drive the agenda in the world of responsible business uh, come from? 
I, I think that yeah, where does where does motivation come from? Where does yeah. energy come from? That's a that's a really interesting. I have question. my answer. <laughs> I, I don't know if I have the answer. I think uh, I have have uh, you know thoughts and reflections around it uh, for sure. Um, I mean, just just speaking very personally, I've I've always been very curious. Uh, I think I've uh, when I was a child, I was very shy. I was very introverted. And uh, sort of uh, reflecting upon that uh, as a as a grown up, uh, I think what that led to really was me being an observer of the world because mm. I had a hard time engaging uh, with the world. But I observed the world, and I was always very curious, and that uh, curiosity has always stayed with me. Uh, trying to understand human beings, what is it that makes people do things? What is it that makes them not do things? Which is motivation inherently our drivers as human beings. And I guess that was part of trying to understand myself. Why is it that I feel like this? Why is it that I, I, I'm not able to do what others seem to be doing, you know, freely? So, so that has been a journey for me, uh, I think, always and, and very much in my childhood and, and in my youth. And, um, and, and I think that curiosity maybe has led to also that I've always, uh, you know, there's you're always moving forward there's always a next step to try and understand and therefore i've always been interested in the you know the cutting edge in what is coming next um and uh, so um i i i i my professionally i started out as a researcher working in market research companies that makes perfect sense when you think about to me at least when you think about my childhood and me being observer but it wasn't a conscious choice uh, it happened, uh, but uh, I, 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 it worked well for me to be a researcher, and I'm still a researcher. Um, and then I, I got curious to try and understand, you know, it, it dawned upon me that so many companies, they uh, when they are, you know, creating marketing or stories, or when they even uh, think about themselves, they, they position themselves as the hero of the story. Whatever product they have, it's the hero of the story. <laughs> and I was like, well, not really. I mean, you are always only a smaller part of a much bigger whole. So I wanted to try and understand that bigger whole. And that led me to, to experiences. So, so what is really the experience that you are part of creating? And so I enrolled into this program that was called Experience Management back in 2008. This was this new experience economy was this new big thing. Uh, or it wasn't a big thing. I guess it was a new trend, really. And uh, through uh, uh, there, I met my uh, my partner, Lila Pavlak, who's my partner to this day. And um, I, I also had the fortune of getting to know Joe Pine, who in many ways is the father of the experience economy. He wrote the mm. book, he coined the term, and he became a mentor and a, and a teacher to, to myself and Lila. And, and so we started as an experience design company really and back then 2008 2009 if you went to a company and said you have to think about the experience you are creating they looked at you as if you were crazy what are you talking about we're not disney world and mm. now of course uh, everybody you know it's it's unnatural not to talk about the experience you're creating as a company and so so that was sort of the first thing Love and that. Uh, where we were sort of i, I think early to things uh, but that was really a starting point for us uh, to become, you know, what we are now and what, what we've been for many years, you know, doing education programs and thinking about creating experiences for people because experiences are tools to uh, to create transformation. 
and mm. and so I guess I'm always on this quest to try and understand humans better and try to understand how how can I better support a journey of transformation to make a bigger impact, which ultimately you need to transform people to transform organizations to transform society. That's how we look upon it. Uh, so, um, I mean, it, that's um, that's a big job. We're not going to be done with it <laughs> anytime soon. No. So there's a, there's a lot to learn. And, um, yeah. uh, and I love how you... Yeah, I love how you took the, your personal inclination to kind of be a bit uh, shy, observative. Uh, and of course, what you practice a lot becomes your superpower. So it uh, totally makes sense that you work with research and, uh, and innovation today. But if we take it a bit more practical to also your book, uh, kind of transforming legacy organizations uh, to the listeners out there, what would be your best tips uh, for those who work in a legacy organization to really be part of this uh, journey on transforming businesses into becoming more responsible and being part of the future that we need to see? Yeah, uh, I, I think we have to realize that um, people have far greater innovation powers uh, than we tend to give them credit for. Uh, what uh, what we need to figure out is how to unleash those powers. Uh, and uh, that begins with understanding the problem, understanding the barriers towards uh, us fulfilling our um, true potentials. Uh, so um, so uh, what, what I learned when I was writing the book, uh, having, you know, I guess back in around 2012, I started going to Silicon Valley a lot. Uh, that's where I got to know uh, Singularity University. We started working with them. We started Singularity University up uh, in the Nordics. Um, and over there, everybody was talking about the immune system. And mm. whenever they were talking about the immune system, they meant uh, companies not from Silicon Valley who had a hard time innovating. The immune system was holding them back, just like the body's immune system might reject the pacemaker or something. It's good for you, but the body doesn't understand it, so it rejects it, right? So that metaphor, so it's a powerful metaphor. But what, uh, what also dawned upon me was that whenever somebody was talking about the immune system, there was a lot of finger pointing going on. They were always talking about how you know, middle managers didn't want to innovate or they were the barriers towards change. They even had this horrible term called the middle management permafrost that was holding <laughs> everything back. So right? always someone to blame. And there's always someone to blame, right? But the middle managers, they point, you know, at the top management and the top management, they point down and the, the employees point at the top management too. Everybody's pointing at everybody, right? And of course, there's human resistance to change is a real thing. But what I also realized was that it's much more helpful to really think about immune systems in the plural, because there's an individual immune system, but there's also an organizational immune system and there's a societal immune system, barriers that are holding us back. So if we are to truly realize our potentials, first, we need to do our homework. We need to do the analysis and understand what is actually holding us back. It's different in different companies. We have you know, there's a lot of similarities, but we also have different types of barriers depending on what kind of culture mm. we have. And, and uh, ultimately, I mean, there's, we can go into much more detail, but ultimately, <laughs> when you take the individual immune system, which, of course, you have to recognize and you have to work with the human barriers. But when you hold that up against the organizational immune system, the system, then the system will almost always win. Mm. So... While not neglecting individual barriers, it's, it's much more important actually to look at the organization, the system, how we have built the system 
and how we can rebuild it in order to free up the powers that human beings have. Mm, I love that and kind of fixing the system, not the people. But then I also, uh, in my experience, I find more and more love for the kind of agile and iterative approach where you kind of take small steps because then you don't see so much resistance. And also, uh, I know you educate a lot of leaders and people and run a lot of programs as well. I see that if you educate people towards a wanted future, they would want to use their toolbox and you see more of a push towards changing rather than resistance of changing. Uh, so I believe we can also kind of, if we work on the basis of how our brains works and how we as human works more than wanting from a business perspective to see those radical changes, uh, we can actually see uh, a wish to change and even a push uh, and a willingness to speed up change. So I think we almost got change a bit wrong and trying to push against that resistance instead of moving towards where does it flow uh, and both listening to ourselves and our uh, instincts, but also playing on the research on kind of neuroscience and human behavior and mm. nudging and so on. So at least I really, really love that approach and then see that you can get a much faster speed uh, and willingness to change. But yeah. connected uh, to that, can, can I, can yeah, I, can of can course, I <laughs> you're here to I, add. I, yeah. I think uh, changes are constant. And, uh, and the world that we live in, uh, when we get the sense that things are going faster and faster, that's because they are, hmm. right? There is uh, acceleration of technology that creates a lot of new scenarios, a lot of new business opportunities, new business models, uh, new competitors from you know places you would never have experienced them before. We have a lot of climate change uh, is, is uh, obviously impacting all of us. We have a lot of geopolitical unrest. There's a lot going on um, and it's not going away. Uh, and uh, change is accelerating. Change is a constant. And uh, part of what stresses us out in our work, in our lives, is uh, that we feel a lack of agency and we feel a, a lack of understanding and we are lacking tools to navigate the change. Mm. So if we, if we look upon building culture, really from the perspective, there's no end goal, there's no end state here. It's a journey, it's a constant process. But if we look towards how can we, how can we build our cultures to enable us as human beings to flourish and thrive being in that change, mm. that's, what, that's what we need to aim towards. How is it we can create that mindset? How is it that we can give each other the tools to navigate together? That's why the so-called soft skills, which is a term I actually really don't like, yeah, are becoming same. more and more important. Our abilities to collaborate, cooperate, communicate with each other. Um, that's what we need to do, right? Yeah. And, and that starts with understanding. And a big part of resistance comes from that we actually, in our companies, when, you know, top leadership, they make strategic decisions. We don't know why they do that. Uh, and we might not be fully informed uh, in regards to, you know, what is going on in the world? What are the important trends that top management might have been, uh, you know, taking that uh, type of education to try and understand? So that's mm. why training uh, are not just of the cool kids in the innovation lab or top management, but of everybody is so important. Uh, yeah. And continuous learning, continuous training, 
in order to ensure that we are on top of the situation or we understand or we or we together have a common language uh, around where is the world going and what does that then mean for us? How should mm. we navigate? And if we can create that, you know, continuous learning in our organizations, that's again foundational for helping us thriving and flourishing even as the world is changing and helping moving our companies and our societies forward. Definitely. And I really love the word or the phrase that you say of thriving and flourishing. Uh, and also kind of you then touch upon uh, that everybody can be part of that change and taking the lead. And when we talk leadership, we usually say that leadership is for everyone. It's just about influencing people around you in a positive manner uh, and kind of be a uh, take a conscious choice to lead the change basically. And mm. I know you do a lot of leadership program and especially love the kind of holistic approach that you take. And I've seen some wonderful pictures uh, of a countryside, the state, and kind of you bring in nature, food, uh, uh, and mind and soul and uh, everything. Can't you kind of let uh, the listeners in a bit more on your leadership program and your thinking around that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, so, so we run different kinds of leadership uh, programs, but they are always about leadership of self and others and how we can help our organizations navigate towards a more uh, responsible future. Uh, and we talk a lot about responsible business and the responsible business transformation. And, and what we mean uh, by this really is how can you as you know, even a commercial organization continue to pursue your commercial endeavors at the same time as you take more responsibility for the impact you are having in the world. We want to increase our positive impact. We want to diminish our negative impact while we can continue to also flourish commercially. That's the killer algorithm that, mm. that we are trying to crack. <laughs> That's what we, are, uh, what we are continuously exploring and have done some really interesting research around, I think. Uh, so that's what our programs are about. Uh, but when, when it then comes to learning, uh, what we realized is that, um, you know, it matters where you are physically mm. for how open you are to learning and how much you, you sort of can free your mind up to take in new stuff. And um, so, so one is whether we do it virtually or in person, um, that there are a lot of benefits to doing virtual programs. We also do them. They have um, yeah, benefits, but it's always much better to be together in person. We, know, we all know that. Mm. But whether we then go to you know, uh, the, the, the meeting room at the office or whether we go to a conference facility in the city or whether we go out into nature, that you know, those are very different uh, experiences, Definitely. and they impact how we learn. So we uh, back in 2019, before COVID, actually, we bought this countryside place. It's an old Danish farmhouse. It's about an hour outside of Copenhagen, and uh, with uh, six hectares of land. So there's a lot of land. It's very beautiful here, and we renovated it so that we can run programs. Uh, and what we learned was we had this idea, we got to take people out of all the noise and stress to have better opportunities for deep conversation, reflection and learning. And, and we really feel that is also what's happening. You can actually see when people, when we pick people up in the airport typically and we drive them down to the countryside and they step out and they walk 100 meters up to the, to the land and they see the house, you can almost see how the shoulders drop almost instantaneously 
Um, and you get a whole other groundedness than you do when, even if you go to the cool, great, awesome, fantastic places, but when you're still in neighborhoods that are similar to work, there's still a lot of noise, a lot of bus, all of that stuff. That that has its own thing, but when you can really go somewhere where clean air, where there's no noise, where you see animals, you connect with yourself in a whole different level. Uh, so that's what we are really exploring. So uh, uh, in, in terms of going to nature, now we're also building the seaside retreat, uh, which uh, we are opening uh, knock on wood uh, after summer <laughs> this year. Yeah. Um, where we will, uh, where it's by the sea, so it's a different type of experience, but it's still big nature. Uh, we've, we, uh, you know, incorporate food uh, into this whole thinking. So uh, using very local, as local as possible. We have our own chickens. We have our own veggie garden mm. that we use as much as possible nice. to feed people. Um, so, uh, so we think, try to think very holistically about the experience we're creating and how we can give the best possible. A starting point for people to you know have conversations and yeah. learn uh, experience together yeah and i've been reading a lot up on uh, biophilia like how can you take these elements basically it's nice with the retreat one one week or two weeks uh, every half year or a year or whatever but i'm also kind of how can we take some of these elements like nature plants uh, great foods connection into our concrete, uh, unpersonal, sterile uh, office environments, mm. because that's eventually where we spend the most of our time. What's the advice is, uh, that you give kind of businesses or the leaders that attend your program to take a bit of that kind of feeling and benefits into their basically offices and workplaces? Yeah. I mean, design-wise, there's a lot you can do, right? I see you have a lot of plans in the background. Uh, I don't actually in my background here, but we we, we have a lot of them <laughs> on our premises and obviously outside as well. You know, plants, they clean the air, but mm. they also actually neurologically calm the brain down so you become more harmonious. But that's a design hack, if mm. you like, right? A lot of plants, uh, why do you want them? Well, because of that, right? you actually create a better human environment. We are hardwired mm. to connect with nature. That's where we're coming from. We know also from a lot of research, for instance, that if you have colors on the walls, if you have art on the wall, that actually sparks human curiosity, which then makes us more creative. That's another design hack, if you like. So if you do that in your office environments, instead of the very, uh, let's say, sterile or very <laughs> neutral yeah. uh, spaces, that also really matters. So there's a ton you can do from a design perspective in the physical environments that you're actually having here. Um, what, what you want to ensure is that you can get as close to a nature experience as possible. Mm. So even if you are in the city, like literally, if you're able to put your hands in dirt, that's, you know, it does something to your brain. And there, there's been research done uh, on, on children uh, not that long ago, actually, where they, uh, they took them from a concrete school environment and put them into a nature school environment. And within a month, their, their, you know, their gut bacteria changed dramatically. Yeah, definitely. Right? Uh, so we should all, we should all like take a 15-minute break during the day in the office and put our hands down into some dirt, right? And, uh, and massage some plants. And that would like yeah. literally make us yeah. more healthy. That might well, be a bit radical, but just yeah. to say... I love the radical. I love the radical. Right? There's so much you can do. And that's what, yeah. you know, that's what 
that's part of what you get when you go to nature, uh, yeah. where we uh, bring people whenever we're able to do that. And then we're getting into kind of biohacking. And uh, I love uh, kind of just to experiment and try and test. And we're also kind of individual. So some things might work better for you than uh, for me and so on. I myself test out these days to uh, sleep on a grounded mat that's connected to the electrical system and the grounding in the earth uh, and found that really, really kind of helpful. And I actually feel like I wake up pre-meditated, actually meditated uh, without actually using any effort. And as you say, plants in all my bulbs, I have daylight uh, or kind of regular light. So both the plants grows better, but I also think it affects me in a better way uh, with mood and during a cold long winter. But mm. if we're going to go into the more personal biohacking things, what do you do to kind of regenerate yourself and uh, on a personal level? Yeah. Uh, I became a veg vegetarian, uh, I guess, eight, nine years ago or something. So uh, food definitely uh, plays a, a, a big role. Uh, it, it started for sort of when we, um, so the very first place we had uh, was in Copenhagen, where we bought this old auto body shop and we, uh, we fixed it up and we turned it into a co-working space. And uh, we started doing accelerator programs for startups. Um, and back then I didn't eat healthy at all. And, but what we then sort of realized was that, you know, when you run programs for startups, so you are, I don't know, one, two, three, four founders or something, every person in that company, they are essential to the company, mm. right? You really matter for your company's potential success. So, so, um, back to thinking holistically, we, we sort of realized that, yeah, yeah, you need funding and you need a good product and you need a plan, but you also need to take care of yourself. So we started to serve healthy food for people, a lot of salads, a lot of juices, all of that stuff. And that was, you know, radical in the sense mm. that most of these, uh, there were a lot of young guys. We, we recruited also for women, of course. But <laughs> thankfully, we have more uh, female founders now. But um, um, and, and we also had a lot of them back then. But, they, you know, there were your stereotypical young guy that lived off a of pizza and Red Bull. And, uh, and for them to get them to drink juices and eat salad, that was a stretch. But we all, we won all of them mm. because they realized they really uh, started to feel radically different, whole mm. other energy levels for putting in the hours, all of that stuff. Um, and then, um, you know, I, um, I, I transitioned into becoming a, a vegetarian. Uh, what I've done in recent years also is I've, um, I've found a, a way for myself to to uh, exercise every day, which I feel really makes a difference for me in terms of strength and in terms of energy. So I've always struggled. I always exercise, but on and off, I've always struggled finding the time. Uh, but now I've, I've found a way of actually doing it every day where I'm sort of micro exercising. Cool. So uh, whenever I, um, you know, need a break or I get up to get a coffee or whatever it is, then, uh, you know, I do push-ups or I do squats or I mm. do something else. And then I have a theme for the day. And then, you know, I do X number of repetitions during the day. And I've been doing that for several years now. And that really, really works well for me. And um, I actually just uh, this new year, uh, so I'm, I guess, I'm coming into the second week of experimenting with uh, fasting. 
mm. from uh, eight o'clock at night until twelve o'clock next day, yeah. and um, and then to see how how that works out for me. So I'm trying out some new stuff now that I don't know the effect of yet. But yeah, yeah but I I really like the kind of trying out perspective and finding what works for you, and also making exercise, fun, uh, small steps, uh, fitting into your everyday life. It's about the kind of volume and the consistency that basically makes it good for your health over time and not just starting the year as we see now in the gyms, everybody's there, but in a couple of weeks time and nobody's there. So, mm -hmm. uh, I love how you have found the consistency. Uh, I think that's really, really important in that. Um, and that's really cool, but, uh, ending her and getting more to a close i would also like to before we close uh, start to talk about your latest research and i know we have been digging deeper into kind of of course everybody's talking about ai uh today but you have also kind of connected it to leadership and what's kind of the things that you see there and uh some interesting maybe patterns or whatever you can share with the uh, listeners mm. yeah there's, there's a lot in here, uh, so uh, I could obviously talk for hours, but I'll, uh, I'll try and do it in, uh, in a minute or two. We've, uh, alongside Accenture, we've been doing research in the Nordics primarily, uh, but also some in the UK and the US, trying to understand responsible business. That was sort of the starting point. We did a study about two years ago. Uh, what is it that companies are doing? Where do they see this going? And when our data analysts crunched the numbers, uh, we, we found some interesting stuff. They were able to identify four domains, if you like, or we call them four key pillars, where we see that the company is doing the most on the responsible business agenda, which, by the way, also correlates to financial returns. They were doubling down on these four elements, which is about future focus, which is about ensuring that we you know, do what we can to understand new technologies, signals and trends, and also ensure Again, back to we talked about training is not for for few, it's for all. How can we ensure training for all and continuous training um, that uh, that we understand where the world is going so we understand our strategic perspectives and also how to get there? Then it's about ecosystem action. How do you work better together uh, externally, but also internally, actually, across silos? Then it's about responsible business indicators. What kind of impact do we want to have? Mm. How do we know what our impact is? How do we track and measure this? And then it's impact leadership. And that was actually the one that correlates the strongest to financial returns, which is about your uh, buy-in as a leader, but also you role modeling as a leader. How is it that I'm setting the scene for how we are together? And that is you as a, let's say, official leader, a leader of others, but it's also you as leader of self Right. And how is it that you role model the behavior that you want to impact and that, that you want to see and how to build that inclusive culture to enable the company to move forward? Mm -hmm. uh, so 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 we identified that we saw that which are really strong and interesting tools that you can use to analyze your own organization, but also to design for the future. And, you know, so we train in this uh, stuff uh, and uh, you can use it then to see, OK. Where are we strong? Where are we less strong? How? Uh, what should we do to double down on future focus? What should we do to double down on impact leadership, for instance? Mm. And then the link to AI, which is our new study, which actually it comes out, I think, next week. Uh, so it's uh, it's brand new. 
we're just uh, doing the final design uh, elements to the report, so it, it, it drops next week. What we see here now, we've been able, so where half of the study is a repeat, so we can track developments. Half of the study is about AI and leadership. What we see in the tracking here is that we are seeing more leaders of responsible business now than we did in the first study, but we are also seeing more laggards. So mm. that means there's an acceleration of companies who are doing more on the agenda, but there are also more falling behind. Mm. So there seems to be this race now where either you're on the train or you are falling off. So that's interesting in and of itself and something to be aware of uh, as an uh, organization. Mm. Um, and, um, and given in the last year or so, the whole notion of uh, generative AI, uh, chat, GPT, all of this stuff uh, sort of exploded into the mainstream conscience. So we wanted to explore what that meant for, uh, for companies. And, um, and, and what, we, uh, what we found out was, I think, is that we're seeing there's a lot going on in companies. There's really a lot of organizations who have been um, you know, uh, exploring and experimenting with AI to a far greater extent within the last year or so. Mm. Uh, so there's really a lot going on. We are seeing a lot of experiments uh, happening in, in companies now. Uh, what is interesting, though, from a leadership perspective, is that uh, the uh, core knowledge on uh, AI, the, what uh, AI can enable, how AI might impact the organization, lies more in the middle of the organization than at the top. Mm. Reason is, uh, most likely, uh, that's the sort of the feedback we get and, and, and what we're able to deduce out of our, our conversations is that who knows the most about AI? Well, it's the people who are working with it hands-on. It's the specialists, right, who are running a pilot project or who are doing an experiment. Often these things, they start through own initiative, mm. back to motivation earlier, not because of strategic direction or something. But then leadership-wise, which leader understands best the potential of AI, those who are closest to the specialist. Yeah. So that's more in the middle layers. And what we're seeing a lot of uh, leaders here, they are equally excited and anxious about the potential and seeing, okay, there's something going on here. And it seems to be different than your normal technology hypes where it's like, oh, this is going to change the world. Then nothing happens. Then we're all radically disappointed about it, right? Uh, but of course, then uh, something probably will happen. The timeline is just longer. Yeah. But what we're seeing now to a far greater extent, probably than ever before, is real use cases really soon in, uh, in, in the trajectory of these technologies. So we see real use cases in the companies. Uh, people in the companies see we can really gain from this very immediately. Yeah. And, and, and that means that uh, uh, when we get results then, and we expect results, we're already seeing results, then we would want to scale them. And that will impact how we run our organizations. And are we ready for this? And most leaders in, the, the, in our interviews, they say, no, we're not ready. <laughs> we're not actually taking the actions that we think will be necessary because of all of the change we expect very shortly. And our top leadership, they don't have enough dirt under their nails. They're not fully informed. Mm. They don't fully grasp yet what the potential here is and how fast we think it mm. will come. What's the, just one short thing, what's the most exciting use case you see for kind of AI uh, in the research you have done? 
So right now uh, we are very much at uh, uh, at the phase where we are uh, feeding uh, AI with information and it helps us understand better, right? Uh, so it's really about uh, you know how to uh, prompting and how to help us um, better understand uh, and making sense of uh, of data. So it's uh, it's it's the transactional stuff. It's all the routine stuff. That's where we're setting in. What can we automate? Uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on in um, in customer service, uh, mm. for instance, on this. Uh, but there's a the really interesting leadership perspective also, I think, um, in regards to one, also all the very routine stuff you have to do as a leader, uh, which is, you know, for some it's already here and for some mm. it's coming really, really soon. How do we use AI as leaders to also help us uh, get rid of a lot of the routine uh, but very time-demanding uh, work? Uh, but then there's the whole notion of how might AI make me a better leader uh, if I'm able to leverage AI in the sense that, uh, let's say we have a lot of Teams meetings throughout the week. What if uh, my uh, my personalized AI analyzed my behavior in those team meetings as a leader? What if it analyzed my uh, choice of language, my tone of voice, how much space I give people, how often I cut people mm. off, and then was able to give me feedback. Personal on coach, yeah. My personal coach, yeah. How might my AI make me a better leader? There's something interesting here, right? Really, that we are just yeah. scratching the surface of. Yeah. Uh, and 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 uh, back to ethics. There's uh, a real conversation i think needed to be had here in regards to how are we actually leveraging ai yeah. how are we letting ai being our coaches our mm. assistants our peers our bosses mm. that is not really a conversation yet but if we look at it there are already thousands of people in the world who have ai bosses Right? Yeah. If you are an Uber driver, <laughs> if, uh, if you are working in a, in a uh, Amazon facility where you are constantly being fed tasks by an algorithm mm. that is evaluating how well you are meeting your targets. And although they say uh, that, uh, you know, the AI cannot fire you, well, it, it certainly will make the recommendation, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so it's not sci-fi. No. So we, so in all of our other types of companies, we have to be really mindful about where do we insist on having a human in the loop? What do we believe is the ethical way of leveraging AI uh, in order to ensure that we keep the human at the center, which is, you know, why we call ourselves rehumanized institute. Yeah. We believe that is needs to be at the core of, um, you know, life is that we ensure to keep the human and humanity at the center while we're leveraging technology. I love that. And uh, it seems like we have so much in common uh, here, uh, Chris. Uh, being two guys who started off uh, being a bit shy and uh, observing the world. And also my personal purpose is to connect uh, kind of people and technology and how can we elevate on that killer combination. Uh, and I think you end with a really great advice here uh, to both the leaders and others. Uh, stay close uh, to AI and new technology, test it out, explore, experiment. And I also see just with this podcast, for example, I would never start it if it wasn't for AI because it became so simple that mm -hmm. I suddenly had time to do it. And also short reels, which usually takes three to four hours to create a good one, or you pay people 
thousands of uh, dollars uh, to do so, I can now just click create the 10, 15 and auto schedule and so on. So uh, I love how we can save a lot of time uh, and then use our time on what's actually effective to use time on as a human being and basically rehumanize the world because many of us have uh, eventually became robots and doing uh, monotone uh, tasks. So I think taking the power back as humans and letting AI do the optimized uh, work that's possible. I look forward to a future more into that direction, actually. So I would like to thank you so much uh, for being here with us, sharing both uh, philosophical and practical and personal tips and insights on how to create a more responsible world and also being part of that as uh, individuals. So look forward to see the research coming and thank you so much for joining today. Great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all the listeners out there for listening to the podcast, A Regenerative Future, where we every week invite inspiring guests who all have in common that they contribute to a better world for all of us. So until next time, see you again and goodbye.